Welcome to Behavior Fit Radio, where we talk health, fitness, and behavior analysis. I'm your host, Nick Green. Welcome to the show. On today's episode, I interviewed longtime friend, mentor, coach, Dr. Paul Gavoni, or better known as Polly Gloves. Uh, his day job, he is an educational leader. He works for a company to help improve schools, but we're not going to talk about that in today's episode. What we talk about is his coaching career in mixed martial arts and combat sports. He's done a lot of work. He's been a, a gold gloves champion in the state of Florida. Um, when I caught up with him, he was in Oklahoma, uh, just finish, finishing up a weigh-in for one of his fighters for the Bellator Championship that's uh, occurring over November 30th week. Uh the weekend there. So um, we had a lot of fun talking about uh, science, behavior analysis, how he uses behavioral principles to help his fighters improve their striking and performance in the ring, in the octagon. So um, without further ado, here we go. Polly, we're back together again. How are you doing? Good, little man. Good. Uh, just just chilling, relaxing. It's been a nice, uh, nice day out here in Oklahoma. Yeah, you've had a, a longer day with your weigh-ins with your fighter, right? Yeah, yeah, I came out to Oklahoma on Tuesday, and uh, yeah, uh, with my fighter, and uh, we got to make weight, which is uh, what you have to do in combat sports, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's it's kind of like the fight game, it's a lot of hurry up and wait, so we sit around the hotel, there's some press stuff that you got to take care of, like you know, interviews and photographs mm-hmm. that he has to do, et cetera, et cetera, making weight is like the big deal, but my fighters yeah. come in, you know, really conditioned. So, uh, yeah, just a lot of relaxing, man. They put us up at a very cool place uh, in Oklahoma. I can't remember the name of the hotel, but it's the biggest, uh, apparently it's the biggest casino in the world. It's in uh, called Thackerville, Oklahoma. So, unfortunately, I'm not a gambler, um, but uh, it's still the, uh, the facilities are very nice and treating us well. Nice. Good to hear. So, you know, this podcast here, it's about um, health and fitness and behavior analysis and how we can use you know, behavioral principles to enhance really anything. And you, you've taken it to another level when it comes to combat sports. So just uh, maybe just briefly describe how is it that you use behavior analysis, you know, when you're coaching fighters? Yeah, I mean, you know, you know in my opinion, you know, uh, behavior analysis, analysis is the most amazing toolbox that a coach could possess. Um, it's the ultimate toolbox, in fact, of anybody that is, uh, you know, understands something behavior has a leg up on the uh, competition because the science uh, is, you know, what can be used to help accelerate performance. So, um, um, they, I use it in a lot of ways, a lot of very practical ways. Uh, and some coaches are using the science. They don't even know they're using the science. Um, for example, uh, behavior skills training. Um, that's a very simple process, uh, you know, kind of package that involves instruction, uh, modeling, um, rehearsal with feedback. Uh, use a lot of that. Um, Task analysis, so I can break down skills into the components. I use a lot of that. I use a lot of shaping. Um, you know, I, uh, I use uh, wherever I can some forms of measurement. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of measurement in combat sports, but uh, we definitely have, you know, some a couple of key measures that we look at. Um, and, uh, you know, I look for uh, behavior cusp. I find some things that are, uh, and pivotal behaviors as well. Um, find some key behaviors that we work on that are going to uh, get them in contact with lots of reinforcement um, and uh, yeah, focus on those areas. So uh, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's really it's been, been very effective. Very yeah, effective. so I know you and I just over the years have had many conversations just about, I mean, in your words, how 
archaic and stuck in the times coaching is in, in boxing and, uh, and, and combat sports. So what is it that, like, how do you tackle, you know, a striking uh, problem or some type of fight analysis that's different than your everyday coach that's out there that's been coaching for the past 20 years? Yeah, so so first of all, you know, just like a behavior analyst would do, you know, I might do some sort of assessment, right? If they're not being effective, you know, why aren't they being effective? And uh, here, you know, I kind of I kind of look at performance through uh, the performance diagnostic checklist. That's a very simple kind of uh, uh, lens to look through. And I'm like, all right, wh- why aren't they performing the skills? Is it, is it a can't do or won't do? If they can't do it, is it, you know, because they weren't getting good training? Um, if it's won't do, is it because they aren't getting a good feedback, whether it be from the coach or they're uh, applying it in uh, the you know combat situ- scenario and uh, they're not getting in touch with reinforcement for applying it? So I got to kind of figure out first why um, they're not you know uh, using whatever skill. And you know obviously if it's, if it's a new fighter or a new skill, then I, I have to take a different approach than if I have to get that skill to transfer into the natural environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so combat sports, uh, you know, as, as you just mentioned, it is, uh, um, you know, if you went to a gym a hundred years ago, you probably see a lot of the similar things going on then that you see now. Um, it definitely use a huge upgrade compared to other sports where there's all sorts of measures everywhere, you know, and, uh, it's, you know, there's a lot of precision going on there. Um, with combat sports, you know, a coach might come in and say, okay, I want you to do this because it, it's going to help you hit harder. And it probably does, you know, if the coach knows what they're doing, you know, they, they teach them how to, you know, uh, maybe turn their hips and, you know, explode somehow with some sort of certain body mechanics. But how do you really know you're hitting harder, right? Does it feel like you're hitting harder? Uh, yeah, how, how do you, you know, gauge that as a coach? I mean, is, is well, it feel? Do you have a, do you have a pressure gauge that you have, have that you guys, that you get, have guys hit? Well, that, that's, there, therein lies the issue, right? There's uh there's very little measurement like that. So the, you, I can feel it in my mitts, right? Because I have, uh, you know, I've been in combat sports for 25 years. I can feel it right, and right, right. hope that they can feel it because if they do, then they get in touch with that reinforcement. But if we had some sort of standard measure, and it's out there, there's like stuff that's pound per square inch, but it's, it's uh, not standard to gym. So if I showed somebody to pivot their foot, put their head offline a little bit, and they did it, and they could see that it improved their punching power by 15 to 20%, Man, that would get them in touch with that reinforcement and likely help to, you know, uh, uh, you know, start to get them to maintain their behavior even when I'm not there because they know, hey, this is this is something pretty cool based on the measurement feedback that they're getting. But it's 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 absent in 99.9 percent of gyms. Yeah, here this is kind of a it's it's dawned on me now that we've been talking, you know, we've talked about this you and I probably for the hundredth to- the hundredth time. But in behavior analysis, we're either going to pinpoint behavior or results, and if we're talking about power on the bag, I think it's interesting that you could probably go about generating more power either with good form or with bad form. Like the example I'm thinking of, it's like if Coach Polly Gloves gives you the correct form, you're going to increase your power, or you could just have bad form and hit the sensor and just like jump off your feet and like your back's in the wrong or your hips in the wrong position. So do you ever have to like work through maybe that's just like bad, bad habits that fighters have developed that they're generating power so that has been reinforced because they can feel the power. You know, what do you do in, in situations like that? Yeah, sure, man. That's a really good point. So, uh, you know, it, it's very interesting. You know, uh, you know, as I mentioned, uh, a lot of people, um, a lot of coaches will 
trained, have a standard way to train fighters, right? This is how you need to fight. But, you know, what the science kind of tells us is that, you know, you have to, uh, you know, fit what you're doing to meet the needs of the person that you're working with, the fighter, right? I call it being fighter-centric, the same way we create a behavior plan to, to, to support the needs of the client. You know, uh, the fighter is my client, and I need to, you know, uh, find out what's going on with them, if they're getting hit too much, then you take it down, whatever it is, and, and then why. So we got to be very specific to that. Now, some of these guys are using some skills that are helping them be successful. And, uh, you know, like, hey, this is my bread and butter. Uh, but through my eyes, I can say, okay, this is helping me be successful, but we could be a lot more successful if we did this. For example, you're hitting hard, but we could be hitting harder. Uh, mm. but, but you're hitting okay. hard once, but we could be hitting hard three or four or five times, or after you hit hard, um, you're, you're falling out of position and you're not able to come back with another punch. So um, this is where we can use some sort of like video feedback, right? Uh, you know, help them to, uh, you know, get, analyze themselves, right? Uh, sit with them and uh, point out what's going well, um, point out issues uh, where, uh, you know, we could, we could really target some skills and what might happen um, if they were to do something else. Um, you know, uh, maybe show them some other fighters, you know, essentially establishing some operations here uh, to create a want for them to change what they're doing. Because, you know, as you know, if, it, if this is like a seasoned fighter and it's a habit, it takes time to change habits. And the first thing you have to do is create a want. And I create a want usually by going and finding maybe like a world champion. I say, you see what this guy's doing? Mm-hmm. Watch how he does it and watch what happens afterwards. So I'm trying to get that light bulb to go off within them because I got to, you know, create a desire for them to work on what would be something maybe that's monotonous, you know, because a lot of this stuff is really focusing on a couple of key habits, right? These behavior cusps or maybe these pivotal behaviors um, and uh, getting them to do this stuff with very high repetition to create the habit. But you've got to first create a want for them. And, uh, you know, it's kind of then you've got to program it into the training. And then you've got to make sure you have some sort of process for helping you to transfer into actual the, the fight which is a whole other process in itself. So you have a lot of things that you're constantly thinking about whenever you're just coaching a, a jab or a left hook. Like you're you're considering all this like at the same time, aren't you? Yeah. Well, well. First of all, I'm thinking. Uh, you know. Uh, uh, you know. Is it is it a skill deficit or is it a motivation deficit? Right. So with skill mm-hmm. deficit. I have to uh, first develop that skill, and then it, 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 now once I have the skill. Now I have to get that skill to generalize into that fight environment to, to transfer into there. And again, that's a whole different process. That that differentiates, and you know, as you know, we talk about in our book, Deliver Coaching, uh, between training, which you know, uh, yeah. I would uh, you know suggest that has to do with skill acquisition and coaching, and that would be helping those skills or supporting those skills, uh, the transference of those skills into a natural environment. In this case, uh, you know, the combat environment into the fight. So yeah, right. there's a lot going on in my mind. Uh, but you know, just like an analyst, you just target, you know, what do you, what is it, what skill you want to work on? Where are we at with it? Breaking it down to those small steps. If you need to giving enough repetition, making sure we're getting lots of feedback with it, you know, getting them in touch with some sort of reinforcement. And right now to begin with, you are the reinforcement as the coach, you know, if they're not, okay. I was was just going to ask that, like, how do you, how do you produce this reinforcement? If, if somebody's new coming off injury or come, especially coming off a big loss, like how do you build that? well, you gotta you gotta connect the dots for them sometimes. Sometimes it's you, but sometimes just it, it, it depends really if they're if they're a seasoned fighter or if they're a new somebody new, right? And they're doing something that feels awkward to them. Sometimes that natural reinforcement is here. I want you to position your body like this, right? This will be a behavior cuss, maybe your posture, 
Uh, very important because when you have good posture, when you throw punches, your balance is good and it, it allows you to access a bunch of different punches when you're able to shift your weight back and forth. So by showing them that, you, I could see the light bulb go off in their, their eyes right away. And ah, you know, and that for me, that's a big reinforcer. Yeah. So and just uh, for the that, uh, just a quick pause there for the for the non-behavioral folk listening, a behavioral cusp is just a kind of a jargony phrase that's used to just describe like once you learn one new skill, it opens up the door for it to be applied to other things. So if we're talking about fighting here, it's if you learn how to control your hips, and that's just gonna unleash you know more power and things like that. So, but go ahead, Paul. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So um. So that becomes very important. So I gotta, you know, help them to become a good observer of their behavior. Uh, help them become a, a, you know, good observer or better observer of the impact of their behavior, and uh, help them to become a good observer of the impact of other behaviors on them. Right. So now yeah. this is in the fight context, but this is the science of human behavior. Right. This is right, what. Right. We do. And then, and then it's about you know getting that behavior to be a habit. So what are the one or two things I can work on? Uh, and develop those habits, and how can I show my fighter and get them in touch with that reinforcement while we're training, right, whether it's developing the skills or in the fight. So um, whether it's me giving direct feedback or if I'm not there saying, hey, listen, I need you to look for this, right? So here are the leading indicators. So getting them to be better observers so they understand that when I do this, I should see that because, you know, we know that, you know, the skill might not work right away uh, when they bring it into sparring. If it doesn't, I don't want them to feel punished, you know, they get hit with something and say, oh, I don't want to do this. I'm going to go back to my old habit. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's very fragile at first once you develop the skill. We've got to get to generalize. And, you know, some of the ways I do that is I'm not going to have, uh, I'm not going to put a fighter just learning how to slip or punch in the cage with maybe a professional fighter that's throwing their whole repertoire. If mm -hmm. they're slipping a right hand, maybe I'm just having that fighter, you know, their, their opponent just throw the right hand and maybe they're just throwing it live, but they're throwing it at 50% and then 60% and then 70%. Mm -hmm. And that they're finally throwing it 100%, and this allows me the opportunity to give them the feedback, to shape up the skill just a little bit more under live conditions. But it's also getting them in touch with, you know, reinforcement, like, oh, I can actually slip a right hand effectively. Right. Slip the right hand in the jab. Now it's the hook. Now it's we, we kind of fade in the, you know, all the other skills of the opponent. So now this this skill is getting in touch with reinforcement. And, uh, what, you know, what Bandera calls, they get a sense of self-advocacy, I, mm -hmm. I believe I can actually do this skill and the response efficacy. I believe that it will result in uh, the outcome I desire in this case, not getting hit and, uh, you know, also putting, you know, myself in a position where I can unleash my own offense. It seems like that would be tied to learning how to, uh, how to act, I don't say accurately or just be a good observer of your, of your own behavior, like you said. So you have to get the feedback from the coach as you're learning this skill. Then you have to observe as you're slipping the punch. They're like, oh, yeah, that's going to build my confidence, and I'm going to be that much more successful in the gym. Yeah. Is, that, do you think, is that a part of it? Like, being, like, you have to be able to observe yourself accurately to lead to, as you explained, self-efficacy. Is that correct? Yeah, self-efficacy. And, and so just so listeners understand the difference, uh, self-efficacy is rooted in the behavior science, uh, social learning theory. Um, but but it would be you know, kind of confused with confidence. It is, a sense, it is kind of like confidence. But it's just your belief in your ability to complete a effectively complete a specific task, and it's a yeah. predictor of success. And uh, what people who talk about self-efficacy don't really focus on is that it really comes down to being reinforced for behavior. Right? I do this thing, yeah. and I'm reinforced enough, and it gives me this sense. I can verbally state, "I believe I can do this thing." Right? It's not a false mm -hmm. sense. It's believe it, yeah. and I believe it because I've done it successfully. 
Yeah, and we're, I mean, we're recording on a video here, so I'm actually watching myself. It's like, if I can accurately say, like, oh, this punch is going in the right place, then that's going to, I would say, accelerate how quickly I learn and can adapt and possibly generalize that skill into a, you know, a natural environment or, or a live fight. Well, that's it. So first, I, first, I got to be able to do the skill, right? The skill, mm-hmm. I can I perform the skill? All right, yeah, I feel like I can do the skill. Yes, I can throw a right cross. Now, is it, can I, can, do I have... Can I throw that right cross under fight conditions, right? And if I throw the right cross, uh, will I get what I want? Will I be able to, you know, this combat sports, and our goal is to, you know, hurt our opponent, right? Uh, will I be able to hurt the opponent? Because maybe I can throw the right cross and throw it very well, but if I don't feel like I can crack an egg because I've really never hurt anybody, perhaps I don't want to throw that punch as much because I don't believe, um, based on my experience, my history, right, the outcomes of throwing a right cross, that it's going to have any effect. I'd rather throw my left hook because that's better because I've gotten the effect, i.e. the reinforcement um, that I've uh, been searching for. Yeah. Now, now, Polly, we we're talking about, you know, being successful with fighters. So you talk a lot about feedback. And I know you give a lot of feedback and that's critical to any type of performance skill. Um, do other coaches give as much feedback as you do? I don't I don't know. Can they can they keep up with you? <laughs> you know, I don't, I, listen, I, there's a bunch of great coaches out there, man. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a ton of good people. And, you know, I've seen good and I've seen uh, people that, and I don't want to call them bad. What I want to say is that they don't understand the science of human behavior. Yeah. You know that all learning requires feedback. And if you're learning a, a new skill, you need lots of feedback. You need it early on. Um, otherwise, you, you know, you might become, you know, people talk about developing habits and they say, you know, practice makes perfect. But we know that perfect practice makes perfect. And if somebody's, you know, developing a skill and they do it a whole bunch of times, but they're doing it wrong, they become really good at doing something really bad. Right. Um, so I see coaches who, uh, you know, let people go out there and they say, okay, go do this. And I'm, you know, I'm like, wow, they're, they're, uh, you know, these people are doing a lot of things wrong and the coach isn't giving them any feedback. Or I see coaches that are giving a lot of feedback, but they're focusing on too many things at once. So the feedback's not going to be effective. So it's really just focusing on, you know, there's one or two habits, getting those to be, you know, part of the uh, fighter's repertoire and then focusing on something something else. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure some coaches do and uh, some coaches don't. Yeah, they so... Human behavior, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, um... Yeah, I know you are, um... You're, you're in Oklahoma right now. You're at a, bi- a pretty big event run by Bellator, I would say. that is. Would you say that's probably uh, the first league combat sports under underneath the ufc the ultimate fighting championship would you say that that's right underneath it or oh, yeah. the top yeah. three yeah no it's it's the uh, yeah it's in the top three it's in the top three. yeah i mean top nationally three. it's in the top two it's number two under ufc there's there's a couple of promotions overseas and uh uh yeah. china and japan that are pretty big but yeah they're big they're big they're international yeah, yeah. um so when you are you know talking about feedback and coaching and working with your fighters how many other coaches out there are practicing similar principles or, you know, close to what your, your, you know, what you, your style is for coaching or is it just you out there? Well, I mean, look, there's been coaches that have, are very successful and they don't have to be, understand the science of human behavior to be successful. They're yeah. probably really good observers of their own behavior, their impact of their, their behavior on others. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and, uh, they, they, you know, and they've, 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 probably done a lot they've probably made mistakes and they've corrected mm-hmm. mistakes and they've used, they've got a methodology down now you know and that's the same with me like i had a methodology down I'm like all right why is this why am i successful here and when i learned the signs of human behavior i could 
could have analyzed it through that lens and figure out what I was doing right, and now I could replicate that. Or, you know, if things are going well, I could say, okay, why isn't it going well, and let me make some changes here. So I reflect a lot on my own coaching behaviors. Mm-hmm. So uh, you don't have to, but, but what I would say is that if they understood the signs of behavior, because there's some amazing coaches out there, they would take their coaching to a whole different level. And I, I mean, I'm only a part-time coach. I'd love to be a full-time coach, but it's hard to make money right. in business unless you have your own gym. And I've had, I've had champions at every level, including the world champion. And I would say mm-hmm. it's not me, it's human behavior. The signs of human behavior right. is what has helped accelerate the performance of all these fighters. So yeah, man, yeah. The, the sign, it should be everywhere. I wish, you know, I would love to spread. Actually, it's probably not good because the competition would become stiffer if I spread it. <laughs> yeah. Everybody like would the same. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I think you still bring a lot, you know, a lot of the art to the sweet science because I know you've, you've written a couple articles about how styles make fights. And um, how, how would you behavior analytic, analytically kind of describe, you know, your approach to assessing an opponent's style you know, up, up against your own fighter style, like what, like, how do you make the decisions then to start coaching and, um, you know, give, give confidence to your fighter that they're going to win based on the matchup and the style? Yeah. So I've, yeah, I've, I've kind of, I've created different style classifications. So we know that, you know, behavior, uh, you know, it, it's genetics meets environment, right? So, uh, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about two fighters very quickly that perhaps your listeners are familiar with. And that's Mike Tyson and Muhammad Ali. And, uh, you know, both heavyweight fighters, but drastically, you know, different styles on, the, you know, the opposite poles. Mike Tyson would come forward and he would use a lot of head movement and he would kind of come up, be kind of uh, in a shell and uh, he'd slip punches and he would rip a lot of hooking punches, looping punches. And uh, Muhammad Ali, on the other hand, would stand very tall and he would throw primarily straight punches, jabs and, and straight you know, uh, straight right hands, and he would use a lot of lateral movement. He wouldn't move forward a lot. He would move laterally. He would dance. Uh, but they're both heavyweights, so they would need to train differently. They're they're uh, using different punches, and they're using different muscles, and so they need rep- their, their training needs to look drastically different to become you know highly proficient and fluent in the skills that are going to be effective for them. Because Mike Tesson was only five foot ten, five foot eleven, depending on who you ask, and Muhammad Ali was six foot two or three, I think. Um, Tyson had like a 74-inch reach. Uh, uh, Muhammad Ali had like I think an 82-inch reach. So if you want to, for Muhammad Ali, he want to capitalize on his reach by throwing straighter punches and by maintaining his distance. So he could literally fight with his hands down and land the jab. Or with Tyson, had to come inside a longer opponent's, you know, uh, reach to get off his punches. So it would be looking at the environment, figuring out, all right, this is the genetic predisposition of this fighter, and uh, he's getting hit a lot here, so this isn't working if he were to fight like Ali. So what does he need to do? Well, he's got to move his head to get inside this punch, and once he moves his head, what does he need to do to land it? And so I'd go back, and, you know, what I did was go to kind of like school, and I would study fight film, and that's how I kind of came up with this kind of classification system. So you know what? We've got genetic predisposition here. You know, like if it's basketball, the center's not going to be the port guard. You know, they're going to be very (laughs) good. They're going to get contact with reinforcement, under these conditions, right? So let's put them close to the net. Let's make it so they can block, et cetera. You know, like the linemen are different from the wide receivers and the running back. You know, they all have different genetic makeups, which means they're going to be more successful. I get, it, get in touch with reinforcement under different conditions in those contexts, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like you have to um, you have to juggle so many different um, uh, 
you know, cusps, if you will. Like, you have to know, like, your fighter's tendencies. Like, are they going to stay back more often? Are they going to lean forward? And that's going to be, you know, this sort, this medium range style. If not, like, it seems like you'd have to figure out which style your fighter is going to be for sure. Train that up and then match that up with your opponent. Yeah. Is that, that well, going to make sense? Well, yeah, well, it does, and it will, and it really starts with again. I'm going to start with, you know, if I was fighting, if I was training a six foot five guy and a five foot ten guy, and they're in the same weight class, they're very heavyweight. I know right away that I'm going to start with by training the six foot five guy in a in a long range style and the five foot ten guy in a shorter range style because they have to because I know the average right. So we look at data. I go back right. and look at the data and uh, say, you know, the average. Height in a, a heavyweight is say six foot two or six foot three, so the fight and with a reach of say seventy eight inches. And if my five foot ten fighter has a reach of seventy two inches, I know that he's at a different advantage in terms of, of reach. So I've got to create an advantage by getting him inside where his shorter reach, he'll be able to get off quicker punches and uh, use his. And how's he going to get it off quicker punches? Well, he's got to rotate his body more, which creates requires different training. So. Um, yeah, but I've got to take a look at that initially. Now, if you got fighters that are kind of close to the norm, then it's taking a look at some other things. You know, I'm looking at what they're doing when they're sparring. I'm looking at what their opponent's doing because, you know, that is part of the environment. You know, are there, or is their opponent a good wrestler? Are they a good striker? You know, what genetic predisposition do they bring to the fight? You know, are they very long? What style are they using? So all this kind of ties into, you know, how you prepare the fighter, but also how you prepare for a particular fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when you, let's say somebody comes in off the street, they uh, just lost a fight in the UFC, they want to hire a new striking coach, you know, from a behavioral lens, what are the, what, let's say, what are the top three things you're going to look at, you know, taking a fighter that's coming off a loss and they want to get back to, you know, winning form again? Yeah, first of all, I love those situations. I've had that happen a lot, <laughs> and I'm adding 100% because it's like a win-win situation, you know? Right, I just right, look right. good. <laughs> love it, you know? And I mean, hey, it could just have been an accident they came back and won the next I don't think so. I think it was a science, you know? But, yeah. Um, so what I look at, so what the first thing I do is I go back and I analyze, you know, I, I analyze their previous fights, right? Mm-hmm. I look at the data, and I find out, you know, from my perspective, what was going on, you know? Now, when you say data, the- do you look at, like, the like the punch stats that are generated like on this TV screen round by round, or what are you looking at as a coach? I'm looking at the video and I'm mm-hmm. looking at, you know, so I'm not necessarily, I, I will look at the punch stats, but you, you got to be very careful with those mm-hmm. uh, because it could, like, I'm glad I asked yeah. that. Cause I, I'm just thinking, Oh, you're looking at the 54% of jabs landed or missed or power punches. Yeah, it could be. But again, you, if you look at just one fight or a lot of that can happen in one fight, like let's say you know, the guy, if you look at a, 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 you know, the end, let's say it was a three-round fight, and uh, you say, all right, this guy landed uh, 50 punches, and his, uh, you know, and the other opponent landed, uh, you know, 150 punches. And you think, well, man, this guy, you know, got smoked the whole fight. Well, perhaps that, you know, 125 of those punches got landed in the last round somehow, you know, and because the other, you know, the my fighter, you know hurt his ankle or something and this guy just got up in but he had won the other two rounds that data wouldn't tell you that you know so mm. you look at everything you know that's just it's a bit of data but you can't just isolate the data you have to but i like to actually look at the video i like to find out what's going on first you know are they getting hit are they getting taken down i look at some you know general you know concepts that are linked to combat sports you know with striking wrestling and then I'll ask about the training regimen, you know, what's going on with the training, you know, what kind of training they get, you know, who's giving it, 
how often they're training. You know, I want to know about their conditioning, you know, because sometimes their skills look really well. Now they're not, you know, they're not conditioned well enough, which is a whole another aspect. People don't like the condition. How can you get them in touch with reinforcement there for participating in that? You know, that's something that I know you're intimately involved mm-hmm. in. Um, so yeah, I have to look at all these aspects of it. Yeah, the data piece, the way you described it, made me think of um, like I just threw up the punch stats. But yeah, that looking at like the time between each punch and the flurry of punches, that tells you a lot more about the pace of the fight and the the control of the fight. Where if you see, um, you know, like the stats on the screen again that we see, they they don't uh, they don't track things in an antecedent before behavior the hit the punch the kick and after like it would be interesting to see like if you know just to use big names here how many um counter kicks conor mcgregor landed after you know a punch or something like that or how many just something that really ties the story of like oh you know 100 percent of of his kicks landed following you know the opponent's strike versus none were successful when he was backing away or whatever it is it's like yeah and you, I think you're able to, from what you're saying, you're able to see that with your coach's eye from experience. But maybe we need to talk to the UFC and the Bellator data people. Like, look, we need a little more conditional data there to actually tell the story of what's going on. Oh yeah, man, you could look at you could look at you know for the fighters' inner response time, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know right. what's going on there. That would tell you, you know, how often because maybe you know these punch stats are just happening in one flurry and uh, it's not really giving the real situation. So that's. It's a good point. You and I have talked about this a lot. Is that there's a lot of data out there. You know, they have the, all this big data, but the thing is that what behavior analysts can do is really understand what to do with the data and how to uh, how to use it to assess performance and improve performance. And uh, people are missing the boat, but you know, it's yeah. the science, and we could do a lot with it anywhere and in, in any sport, any sport, even though there's been sports, you know, football, basketball, who use lots of data. I guarantee you put a behavior analyst in there, especially somebody who's, uh, you know, very familiar with that sport, and they will improve what people are doing with that data under those conditions, guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's um it's so funny. Like when we, when like we talk about the the couple pieces of data that are pretty popular, like like uh, strikes landed per round or the pace of you know how many how many average punches are thrown, but like. That's really it. It, it. You don't really see anything beyond like those kind of big metrics and like power punches and then location of the body. Like, of course, if you if you take 30 kicks to the to the leg, you're going to be hobbling by around two or three. Like, I get that. But, you know, if you, if you look at is it Mighty Mouse is isn't he the one like one of the fighters that um, Demetrius Johnson that everybody talks about, like nobody can keep up with like his hit rate because he just is nonstop and just striking, striking, striking. And, you know, if you just keep up with that then you'd be okay. Um, is is it him? Is he one of the fighters that has a, like, oh, he he's non- a very, non- he's got, yeah, he's got a very, very high output, very high output. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see, like, if you were to, you know, if you were to train smarter and um, maybe you do fight against somebody that has a high output, a high frequency of hits and kicks and throws and takedowns, then what, what what's your output, you know, in relation to that? Do you just need to have you know, 10 kicks every time he throws one punch. I don't know, you know, something like yeah, that. Or, or, to look at. You could break it down. Yeah, you could. And you, again, you could look at the antecedents to his flurries, you know, and uh, know, you know, uh, you know, under these conditions. Now, if you know this is the condition that was more likely to flurry, now you can get your training partner to, you know, uh, simulate those conditions. 
now you can really prepare for it. So yeah, man, getting that deep analysis, absolutely, man. There, there is so much that can be done. It, it, you know, you and I have talked about nanotechnology and training. Yeah. You know, uh, there, this is all available where you can measure, you know, your frequency of punches, your the velocity of it, where your punches are landing, where you're being punched a lot or kicked a lot. You know, uh, you know, maybe there could be grip strength. You know, there's so much data that can be collected in combat sports. And the technology exists. Uh, I think it's probably a little clunky right now, but I think it's improving. Um, mm-hmm. But again, it's not enough just to have the measurement. You need you need behavior analysts to help. Yeah. Here, here, here's a cra- here's a crazy idea I just, I just thought of. Like, we could we could somehow get uh, heart rate data on the fighters. So there's a big board on the screen. So then you know, as soon as your opponent punches himself out and he's <laughs> His his heart's beating at 185. He's gonna be dead for about 20 seconds. That's when you attack. So all you gotta do is look a little bit to the left, see his uh, heart rate's on red. You're down on blue. You're nice and cool, and you can go at it. That would be an interesting like talk about getting feedback from the environment, like multiple layers there. That would that would change a lot in fighting, I think. Well, you know, you know, uh, I, I did uh, we did a little research. We didn't publish it. We collected that on. It was very cool, man. Uh, with a good friend of mine, Dr. Alex Edmonds. Uh, he's a sports psychologist, and what we did was we we programmed we did we did some interval training, and what I did was take like uh, for every 15 seconds I'd program a specific combination in, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, require the fighter to perform it. And uh, we had uh, something called a Zephyr, it was collecting all sorts of data like on his heart rate, um, mm-hmm. blood pressure. I forget there were some few things in there, but what we could tell at the end was we could see which combinations were taxing him more oh, based wow. on that biofeedback, right? So now, having, oh man, it was very interesting. So now we have that data. We know what skills he's more fluent in and which he wasn't, which we're going to tax him more in the fight, right? And so, all right, well, if we really need this skill, we need him to be fluent in this particular skill. We knew that we need to program that into his camp more. So it was very cool, man. We didn't publish it, but uh, I don't think there's ever been anything done like mm-hmm. it. And, uh, but it gave us some really cool data. Yeah, I think there's a, I mean, inter- interesting parallel for this, you know, the sport that I practice in CrossFit that like, you know, when somebody's learning a complicated movement, like a, a front squat or a cleaning jerk or something like that. So you have that in isolation, kind of just like what you're talking about in practice, like, you know, some athletes out there, they can perform it, you know, when they have, uh, you know, when they're, when they're well rested, but as soon as you put that movement into a, a fight or a workout, you know, that's kind of the parallel here, then you kind of see form break down, they can't perform as many um and, and you know in the same time frame so it's really interesting to see like how um you can manipulate so many different variables so it'd be you know uh the intensity of the exercise so for you i think it'd be can you speed up the punches can you do it after fighting for 10 rounds can you do it when somebody's chasing you and so all those variables like it sounds like that's how you you know that's how you coach fighters and looking at those things versus you know looking at hey man you're not you're not trying hard enough you know <laughs> which is the, old, the old classic thing well, that's it, man. And it's it's not, you know, it's not train harder, train smarter. I've written a couple of articles on what I call Smart Camp. Um, as you know, I'm I've, uh, I've, uh, uh, a co-founder of something called MMA Science, where we're actually bringing uh, the first ever belt ranking system uh, to mixed martial arts. And it's rooted in traditional organization and science, of course, science, human behavior. And uh, really, we just did, you know, a, a grand task analysis on skills. So it's going to really accelerate uh, uh the, the performance of the students because the uh, instructors will know specifically, right, it's precisely what they need to teach and the students are going to know precisely what they need to learn and you have something that's measurable uh, to give folks feedback on. So, you know, you should have something written that they can use to uh, 
guide instruction and to, to guide learning to study from. Um, again, you know, all rooted in the science. So there's just so many opportunities mm-hmm. for people to use the science. I and mean, we're just talking about combat sports here, but you know, you're talking about in CrossFit or anywhere. It's just, it's just incredible, man. It's just incredible. Yeah. I think we're, yeah, we're pretty lucky, I think, as a field, uh, you know, as behavior analysts that the field has progressed to where it's at today in combination with all this technology and all this opportunity to practice. So it's really, it's really exciting to see, you know, where different things head, you know, hard telling where behavior fit goes, hard telling where, you know, the future of your coaching career goes with, you know, you have, you have this fighter who's 9-0 undefeated in Bellator, you know, the second league below the UFC, which is exciting. So, um, yeah. yeah, times are looking up for both of us. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's looking up for the science because, you mm-hmm. know, like, you know, you and I went to uh, Haba, uh, you know, a few weeks back and uh, it was very cool because I hadn't met a lot of people out there. But I see it just seems like there's a groundswell uh, within the science of people saying, you know, this isn't your grandfather's science. You know, I mean, it's still the right. science, but in terms of where we can apply it. And I think, you know, my message and I think your message and some of the message of some of the other folks I heard there is that man, we can use this anywhere, you know, mm-hmm. anything that you're doing anywhere and that there is no science like it. Nobody can do this. No other science can be used anywhere because everything has to do with people doing something. So uh, it's exciting that people can take a look at what they're doing in every day, what their passion is and say, what can I do with the science to make myself better or help somebody else be better uh, under these conditions? So uh, it, it is very exciting, man. I'm very, very fortunate to have stumbled across this. <laughs> yeah man it's it's uh, your energy enthusiasm for science in general is very um it's very infectious so I'm, I'm glad you could you could share that with us so let's uh let's get you out of here on this Polly. um so you are heading into a big fight tomorrow give a little plug for your fighter tell a little tell tell us a little bit about it um yeah so um very cool man jordan young he's actually nine and though right now we very much plan to be 10 tomorrow night uh, we're fighting a veteran. Uh, I like named, that. Planning uh, on being ten and zero after tomorrow night, right? It's oh yeah, Thursday. That's the Thursday night before. So by the time yeah. this is published, and maybe you hear it out there, hopefully he'll be ten and zero. Well, we already have the shirts that say ten and zero on it, so it better. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we, we plan on being ten and zero. The guy we're fighting is a veteran fighter. Um, he's got uh, I think uh, fifty eight fights, which that's a lot of fights in mixed martial arts. But uh, you know, it's just not a good matchup uh, for him. And, uh, yeah, so Bellator, um, they can turn it, tune in to Bellator.com, and it will be streaming on there. He's not on the main card this time, but he'll be on the main card next time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so uh, tune in Friday night, tomorrow. All right, and then I know you're pretty active, you know, putting your training out there on social media. Where, where can people find you and get hooked up with you? Yeah, you know, I'm open. I'm an open book. Uh, if they hook me up me on LinkedIn, on Paul Gavoni, um, they can follow me on Pauly Gropes and Facebook. Uh, Paul F. Gavoni on uh, Facebook as well. Uh, Dr. Polly Gloves on Instagram or Twitter. <laughs> there um, you go. I have a book out, two books out, uh, co-authored with a couple of fantastic guys. One is Quick Wins, uh, uh, Accelerating School Transformation Through Science Engagement Leadership with Manny Rodriguez. And uh, my upcoming book with Dr. Nick Weatherly titled Deliberate Coaching, A Toolbox for Accelerating Teacher Performance. Uh, that'll be out in February. And, and by the way, both books, even though they're, they take place in the context of schools, um, of course, it's a science. So the, the principles can be applied anywhere. So, uh, yeah, pick up a copy of those if you're interested. They're fun and they're short. They're fun to write, too. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Um, yeah, well, thanks for coming on today. And um, we'll look for that W.
Okay, good talking to you, Nick. Thanks, brother. That's it for today's episode. To learn more about Behavior Fit, visit www.behaviorfit.com. And if you haven't already, follow me on social media. I'm active on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just find me at BehaviorFit, B-E-H-A-V-I-O-R-F-I-T. And look forward to hearing from you. And keep moving.